Hey, good morning all. Welcome to the Common Good Podcast. It's uh, 28th of September. Wow. Makes it a Thursday if you're following the Julian calendar. <laughs> Is that what we're on? Yeah. The Julian calendar? I use that joke a lot. I don't even know which one we're uh, if you follow the Julian calendar, it makes it a Thursday, the 23rd. Hey, and uh, you know what it is today? It's the day after uh, Huxon Paget's birthday. Little Huxon Paget, born yesterday. You're yours? Born yesterday. No, well, but my you're, you're uh, my son's. My son well, congratulations, Doug. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't play the patriarchy game as much, so I try not to take a lot of credit for such things, but still a great day. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm real downline on that, that account. <laughs> um, but yeah, really. <laughs> but, it, but it strangely does feel like an accomplishment, uh, doesn't it? Some, somehow, somehow. Yeah, it's really great. So the sweetest little face. I mean, all these little, all these little baby faces just dug out adorable. So happy birthday. Uh, I got to see him yesterday. Probably get to awesome. see him today. I live here in Minneapolis, where, by the way, the weather is supposed to be nice today, but it looks yeah. wet and cloudy. You guys haven't, um, yeah. This been a very. When wet do you have fall, like yeah. proper fall with the trees and all that doing their thing? Is it happening now? Yeah, it starts now. I mean, there's a few trees that get a little, uh, you know, ready to leave town. Um, those leaves, yeah. and they uh, they start changing early really? September. Um, wow. So, yeah, yeah. But it'll be, you know, October is really the time when the when yeah. the colors pop, and. I don't know. I don't know. You probably know this because you're a birder, but something about uh, moisture level yeah. has something to do with how colorful the leaves are and then how windy, because very often the wind blows the. I, I had not the thought of the. I had not thought of the wind factor, but yeah, I knew about the the, the moisture piece. Uh, but we don't get it down here until, I mean, it's really early November when it peaks here. Oh. And are you in a place where there's lots of color? Yeah, we're pretty. But by the way, Decatur, Georgia, yeah, where, where you are. We're about a thousand feet up above sea level. So we have a lot of hardwoods and stuff. And um, so we get, yeah, we get, we get a pretty good dose oh. of color. Not, not like New England, you know, but uh, still pretty, pretty good. Yeah. Atlanta is like, uh, it's like a second highest oh. baseball field other than uh, Denver. Just a little fact. Yeah. What? The second highest uh, major league stadium after Denver. Actually, wow. is that still true? If they added more clubs over, like in Arizona and something, that might be higher, actually. The Diamondbacks might be higher. I don't know. But we're pretty high up. The Diamondbacks. Arizona. They could be. It depends on where in Arizona they could be higher. Yeah, I'll tell you, as someone who's ridden his bike across Arizona when I rode across the country, Arizona, shockingly mountainous yeah. and hilly. We kept getting to 4,000 yeah. feet and then back down to almost zero and then back up. Gave you a, a workout, huh? Yeah, you know, just a you know Minnesota kid like me is under the illusion that uh, Arizona is a desert. Yeah. It's, it's also a mountain yeah. range. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a real serious... Serious thing. Well, okay, so that blows my mind that um, I, I honestly don't even know what elevation above sea level the place no. I live is. I'm going to ask Siri right now. Hey, Siri, what elevation is the city of Minneapolis? Let's see. Minneapolis is 866 feet above sea level. Oh, yeah, well, Atlanta's a little higher, but not much. Yeah. There you go. 
I, I mean, enough for you. Yeah, yeah, you knew about yeah. it, and I didn't. I'm going to start going around like, you know, we're just going to be 60 square uh, <laughs> Well, the, the Appalachians, you know, just are, are, we're really in the foothills of the uh, of the Appalachians. Okay. So. And you just go an hour north, and you're in the mountains. So hour and a half north, something like that. I mean, couldn't somebody go up a 150-foot hill? Sure, Isn't we're talking about impossible? average elevation, like, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's how that stadium gets higher. Is it like up on a hill? No, no, but but Atlanta uh, is built on a ridge, um, Peachtree Street, which is the main, uh, which is is huh. mainly the whole city is like structured around Peachtree Peachtree well, Street, this? and that's it runs along a ridge. It's an old in, it's an old Indian trail, and those they ran along ridges. Yeah. Well, Alex is bragging that her city, where she lives. <laughs> um, Tampa Bay, 13, 13 feet. feet above sea level. Uh, and if she wants, she can be like three inches above sea level when she goes and yeah, stands on yeah. her high heel shoes down by the, yeah. uh, down by the ocean. So yeah, right on. Good for her. Uh, hey, hey, Paul. Um, so lots of things happening. How is school? People who don't know, uh, will be glad to you know, hear yeah. that you're a professor and, uh, and, and a birder. So I want to check in always on two things. How are the kids doing? Uh, in school <laughs> are they uh are they are they thriving because you know the children are they are future, so they are our future are and along? and uh they're doing pretty well actually uh the campus feels a little more normal oops froze up can you hear me oh not on okay. this end yep yeah, froze up a bit but uh the, the the kids are fine uh the the feeling on campus feels a little more like every year post-covid it gets a little more I don't know if normal is the right word, but a little more, there's a little more activity, a little more, you know, uh, uh, less, less, you know, fewer people hiding, <laughs> you know? Well, well, last time we, we talked, I said, Hey, would you, would you break out the secrets from Agnes Scott uh, university and let us college yeah. college, you guys go college, by college yeah. or university, yeah. Agnes Scott college. See what I did there? I work, I've been working on this, Paul. I, I'm not going to call Ray it Agnes, Agnes anymore. Yeah, you're getting there. You're getting there. Yeah, I'm yeah. done with no, that, that old life. I'm leaving we're it. Only, we only have a thousand, we only have a thousand students, so it's definitely not a university. Oh. Only a thousand. Is that is that mm -hmm. what it is? It's the size of? It's a, well, no, it's, no, it's no. Technically, enrollment. I think it has to do with like a university to me is like a collection of schools. You know, like you've got an yeah. undergraduate college, you've got a graduate school, you've got a business school, you've got a law school. That's a university in my mind, that collection of all those schools together. But we're just undergraduate. So most most places that are just undergraduate have kept the name college. But some of them, I think, feel like they need to call themselves yeah. university. Need to compete. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you sent notes. Uh, from your, I asked you to take a photo of what you were putting on the white. Yeah, yeah, that was last. Yeah, advanced students. It was, it was fantastic. <laughs> did um, did they, did they get it? Uh, did you, you feel like you communicated I, well? They, they put it down in their notes. Or their I did my best to communicate it. They asked questions. We had a couple of discussions. Um, <laughs> you know, and and and, and, and we've had homework on that topic, and I'm actually sitting right here on my on my desk right now right there and i haven't graded it yet so we'll we'll see okay uh they keep uh, up though hey well you're gonna take us to school take us to school today because i sent a couple of things to yeah. you uh wanting to know about these quirks and about the cern 
uh, laboratory, the Collider and all yeah. that. It's a big story in popular mechanics, as, as I'm sure all this audience knows because they're keeping up on their popular mechanics headlines. That's right. Um, and but, but let's check in on birding. A uh, quick note from Yabitz, who lives there in your area. Um, oh. He says, we saw our first cat bird in two months. The mockingbirds disappeared in July. And, and, and where is Yabitz? Uh, are you a He's he's there in your area in, in Yavitz yeah, can tell us here, but I think somewhere in the Atlantic. It's funny. I was just walking up a hill to the observatory this morning, and I heard a catbird, and uh, and they do actually sound, in, in my opinion, they actually do sound like cats. Um, and I thought to myself, that might be the last one that I hear because they migrate away from here in the in the fall. They go down South Georgia is about as far north as they are in the winter. So, uh, yeah, that might've been my last cat bird of the, of the year. Okay. Anytime, anytime they're going to be gone and I won't hear that sound again until April or so. Yeah. Now, now I, I know I've, I've done this to you before in, in, in amazement at your ear, but you're just walking along and you just hear sounds and you yep. can name that bird. Yeah. Uh, how many birds do you guess you got in your that I could just identify without, without 30. Yeah. I mean, you're just walking along you're like, Oh, that's a, you got 15. No, I got probably, I'd say between 50 and 70. Probably. (laughs) Good Lord. We were, uh, we we were, we were on a walk and, um, uh, there's a little walking path on one side of the road, small little two lane road by our house. So we're walking on the walking path and this owl was hooting. And Shelly, my wife, said to one of the kids that we were walking with in the neighborhood, um, the kids like to come walk the elderly people around the neighborhood here. So it's very kind of them. Uh, this is said to little Harriet, uh, oh, do you hear the owl? And a person across the street, not in our conversation, interrupted and said, no, 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 that's not an that's owl. A, that's a that's dove. A dove yeah. of some, see, a dove of some kind. So not only does Shelly and I not have... 50 random for years. I'm telling you for years, we believe. Yeah. It's a common. That's a really, really, it's called, a, it's probably oh. a morning dove. It's a super common mistake. Cause it sounds sort of mournful and low and kind of uh spooky, you know, and it does. And, and they're common yeah. and they're common. So, uh, and they make noise all the time. Wow. So yeah, that's a common thing to think that it's now. I wouldn't feel too bad well, about it for, I don't know, since, since 19, well, since 1999, <laughs> we've been like, oh, there's that. <laughs> we've been living under the illusion <laughs> yeah. that there's common owls right. in our, right. in our, in our place. And there's, there are, there are, there are no owls. Okay. So you've been on your hunt to go to all the counties in Georgia, Georgia, yep. and to, to spend some significant amount of time there to spot uh, birds. What, where, where are you at? Well, I, I haven't done much whatever. in the last couple of months. It kind of came to a grinding halt at the end of summer uh, because of my job, you know. Um, uh, but I did go a few weeks ago down to a river and river called the Flint River in uh, Georgia. And I realized as I've, I've been staring at maps of Georgia lately because of this project, I've got to uh, bird all these counties. Mm-hmm. And I realized there's this river in Georgia called the Flint River. And it actually begins as like just just bubbles up as a groundwater seepage it just mm-hmm. right just north of the atlanta airport 
and then it flows under the airport under four runways, the international yeah. terminal nice. and across like 14 lanes of interstate. And then it emerges at the base of a retaining wall. And then it flows for 220 miles undammed from there. And it doesn't cross wow. any interstates, doesn't cross any, go through any major towns. I'm, and I realized I'd never seen the Flint river before. So I went and, uh, See, I went, went and I saw it. It was beautiful. I had no clue that was in Georgia. And I saw a, uh, saw a migrant, a, uh, the first, actually this was the first migrant of the season that I saw. It was a sandpiper out in the middle of the river. Now, you, now you're speaking of birds. Some people who listen yeah. to this. Yeah, yeah, right. It's all migrant in the middle of the river. No, no, no. Yeah. Uh, I can see how that would be confusing. Uh, a, a, a sandpiper, a species of sandpiper. Uh, birds uh, usually uh, oftentimes migrate along rivers. They just follow rivers down. And uh, this one was going down the river. And so it was a beautiful place, beautiful river floating on yeah. the river well great well congratulations on on keeping moving on this ambitious goal of yours to see birds in all the counties in georgia it's a lot of counties over the next the rest of your life For, probably at this rate yeah i'll probably be the next five years before i finish maybe three who knows hey kim kimberly is glad that we're on early today i think that's what her uh, yay early today comment is because on thursdays yes we start at uh, 8 a.m in the central time zone 9 a.m uh, Eastern time zone because Paul has to go teach the good kids of Agnes Scott. There you um, go. And, and uh, thank you. And as <laughs> it is not St. Agnes university, you can, <laughs> you can Google St. Agnes university and Paul Wallace, all you want. You're not going to find him there. You're going to find him at Agnes Scott college. That's right. All right, Paul. Um, we, we, we like to talk about uh, things up in the mm -hmm. sky, uh, stars, we like to talk about birds. Mm -hmm. uh, we like to talk about our dreams. Yep all those highfalutin things. Well, NASA has finally given us the answer on UFOs. And they're saying, yeah, they're in. <laughs> that's, that's it. NASA came out, and one of the great quotes from this is the head, uh, this guy who used to be a, a senator, now the head of NASA. Uh, his name Bill, uh, Bill Richards mm -hmm. or something? Yeah, that's right. Uh, what his name is. Yeah. Something like that said, uh, look, people always want to know if the government's hiding anything from them. We want you to know we are the government and <laughs> there's, uh, there's no, UFOs. See, when I, so, you know, okay, I, I am, settled. I'm like the least conspiracy minded person in the world. I got to tell you, I really am not. Yeah. Um, but when I, when I read mm -hmm. things like that, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> like you, you, really, you really have to, you really have to. Much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a little too much. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, no, yeah. I, I, I believe yeah. the, what I got from it was that it's, it's not so much that, yeah, they don't exist, uh, than it was, you know, we don't have any evidence that, that what we have in yeah. hand is Their not sufficient is, for us to say, yeah, that's yeah. it. That's it. All the things we've seen, we've looked at all of it. It's weather balloons and weather phenomena and that's it it's probably and then they said and there's some it's probably also a little bit of bourbon <laughs> or other alcoholic drinks <laughs> uh, a, a number of us were struck by the testimony of a former uh i think air force mm. pilot this fall before congress i think testifying which ultimately came to this committee from nasa saying what they said that there's um 
the task the task force finds no evidence for alien craft um which again look nasa if you just want to keep making people keeping people disappointed in you just keep saying this <laughs> stuff like what they need to say is <laughs> nasa is relevant we're going to fly to the moon we're going to fly to mars and we're going to figure out if there's any there you go there. like good. keep keep the intrigue alive yeah. you know like yeah. i don't know Right. Sometimes science and marketing may, maybe run into each other. Yeah, you're right. But there was this pilot. You're right. That that would be a, a good line. We're we're going to figure it out. That, that's I like that. Yeah, yeah. We 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 can tell you this: the universe is a big place, and we're never going to stop looking. Yeah. You know that yeah. kind of thing. Uh, now, I don't think there's any intelligent life out there uh, either, because if so, what what are they hiding for? I mean, what's right. what's all the dishing and dashing around with the air with the with the fighter pilots for? Like. <laughs> And, and if you're up to, if, if they're up to whatever, I don't know, building pyramids or experimenting on our livers and extracting whatever they're crop, extracting crop circles livers when they pull people up, crop circles, um, why are they showing their hand a little bit? Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. None of it, none of it sort of makes any sense. Um, but there are a lot of people, I was one of them who were really struck by this, this, I believe it was an air force pilot. Who's like, look, here's what I saw over, you know extended period of seconds, a minute or more, something like that. And it was just something we'd never, you know, I could not explain. They kind of alluded to that in this article and in the, in the press conference that NASA did. Basically, NASA said, look, there are some things we can explain and we can tell you what they are by the claims people have made. And then there's some things that we can't tell you what they are, not because we don't know, but because the government keeps secrets on how it knows what things are. Mm -hmm. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. You, you know what I'm yeah. talking about? Did yeah. you read that part yeah. of the, read that part yeah. of the article? I thought now there, there's some intrigue. Like we, we can tell you how we discovered that that thing was a balloon yeah. or that thing was a flare or that thing was a hovercraft or a drone or whatever. But then there's some stuff that the government knows how to pay attention to that other countries are doing or that they're experimenting yeah. with yeah. that we, we can't tell you why we know it's not an alien right. craft, right. but it's not an alien <laughs> craft. It's, <laughs> I don't know. I found that to be like, there's the, uh, there's the intrigue. Yeah. What, what is it that the government's doing or <laughs> that other countries are doing that we're able to pay attention to? That they can't tell us about. That's all. Yeah. yeah, yeah, up in the sky. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Hey, uh, Al Alex has a great uh, comment before we get into our larger one, which is uh, quirks and quirks yeah, yeah, yeah. and 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 na na nano quirkies and and hydrogen colliders and CERN and just all the great words. Uh, Alex, Alex says, um, let me try to move that around so it's a little bit more readable. Uh, Alex writes, uh, I read the color of the sky is actually a bluish purple or violet. What do you say? What What do you say about that? Well, my my thought is that um, that may be true in a in a certain sort of uh, my, my my first reaction is I've not heard that before, not not like that, but I do know that the phenomenon that leads to the blue sky is is more significant at lower frequency at at, at, sh at shorter wavelengths rather at purple wavelengths. But I think that our eyes are not as sensitive to deep purple colors as they are to blue. And so, and there's also, well, 
I mean, in, in a certain technical narrow sense, yeah, it, it, the the response of the, the the effect that creates the blue sky is more is more energetic and more powerful at shorter wavelengths, at purple wavelengths. But uh, the physiological, you know, our eyes' response to the mm -hmm. color is definitely blue, and not purple. But yeah, it, 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 in, in a sense, it is. Yeah. What well, I guess I don't even understand wh why that's a question. It, what do you mean? Is like, does someone think the sky is not blue? Uh, I mean, is somebody just out on like are these people that live in Portland and <laughs> it's just always kind of gray and cloudy. <laughs> and someone says, no, 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 the sky is really blue. And they're like, yeah, I've been looking at the sky my whole life. It's, it's gray. <laughs> yeah, it's gray right. and sad. Yeah, no, no. So, the point is, is that there's a lot of purple light in the sky. But there's also a lot of uh, sort of yellow and green light in it. But when you mix it all together, it definitely comes out, you know, in a sense, in a sense, huh. like an average of blue. So it's actually a bluish purple violet. The sky's actually violet. That'd be cool, but but hmm. uh, you know, I'll... isn't that all just light refraction and the and the level to which the human eye has a spectrum yeah that yeah it can yeah translate yeah. into color? Isn't yeah. that is it really color or is it color is, I mean, isn't color, color, just color a, is a yeah, color is a, it's a crazy thing when you think about it, but it's, it's, it's our brain's response to basically different wavelengths. Yeah. I thought color was just a mental concept. It, ba it basically yeah. is created in our mind. I mean, I'm not saying it's not real. It, it, yeah. it, it refers to something that is measurable, which is the wavelength of light. Yes. Yeah. But if someone's colorblind or whatever, they, right. they don't. And, you know, it, it, it's our minds. And isn't there also something about Go on. something about blue, the color blue, that like before 1840, it was never in, like it wasn't a category? Yeah, I, that, that may be know, so, although blue. it's hard to believe that such a basic thing is blue. Yeah, I think that's what makes it fascinating. If, if somebody's, you know, got their fingers on the keyboard. Uh, they should Google that and then put it in the chat if they know something about this. Uh, when did blue become a thing? I mean, if, if, when did blue become? Yeah, blue? Well, yeah. I mean, you could ask that about anything, right? I mean, at some point in the distant past, we were and we should vaguely aware yeah. of all kinds of things, but we didn't put names on them until much later. Yeah, yeah. But it feels like this one, this blue thing, is a real right. doozy of a like. Hey, we didn't use it as a category. That's hard to believe. Uh, wow. Like until like until like okay. last couple centuries, you're saying? Oh yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. So something like that, like super recently. Wow. Like people referred to it as purple or green or I don't know yeah. something. I get you know real hazy what goes on inside my my memory. Yeah. So you know. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll look that up. When did blue become a thing? All right. Well, let's. Yeah, yeah. When did blue become a thing? Well, look, hey, uh, Alex Yabitz, Joanne. Uh, uh, Kimberly, any of you that Doty, any of you I see uh, watching here, I don't see you watching. I, I haven't turned your camera on yet that you're on your computers. I just see that you've made some comments and see that you're here. All right. Uh, okay, Paul, let's, let's talk about the big story of the day. All right. Uh, I sent you this article because the popular mechanics again, turned our, our attention to the CERN collider, yep. this thing for 30 years. I mean, for literally, it feels like my ad entire adult life of paying attention to anything science related the the cern 
C-E-R-N, Collider. Where they were, I think they were looking for the God particle there too, right? The same God particle hunting place? Yeah, was that the, was that the Higgs boson? That they were, is that what they called the yeah, God the particle? Higgs yeah. boson, yeah, that they're looking yeah. for? Yeah. I mean, they're doing all this stuff. It's this, I don't want a 17-mile long big collider uh, where they're jamming, ramming, colliding protons and neutrons and things together just is so mind-bending <laughs> to me. I, I've had friends who have traveled just to see it, yeah. like to go to the gate, yeah. just to, to know that it's actually real and exists. Uh, and Popular Mechanics has a great article. If someone's at all interested in this, they should look up this, the plasma that birthed the early universe. Um, and uh, so I just want to talk to you sure. about it because the stuff about quarks and quirks and all the rest is just is just wonderful. Is so wonderful. for those who are the uninitiated as of yet, uh, and again, speak to us like we're freshmen there at Agnes Scott, not those not those uh, fancy advanced classes that you put on the on the whiteboard the other day. Uh, what are they doing with this collider, and how does this whole thing this whole thing? Work? Well, basically, the idea is that I mean, the universe you know, we believe started in what we have come to call the Big Bang, that it began as an extremely dense, extremely hot, essentially like a point, you know, mm -hmm. and at that, and for the first, you know, billionth of a second or so, it was so hot that there were no protons or neutrons or anything like that. Now, what that uh -huh. means is this, I mean, think about it. If, if you take your watch, take a watch, anything that's built up of smaller pieces, Okay. okay. And you take it off your wrist and if you shake it, right, nothing happens. It just, but if you shake it more violently, it's going to start to come apart, oh. right? As you shake your watch more violently, you know, pieces are going to start flying off after a while. If you, if, if you're, if, if you're quick enough with the, with the shaking, right? It makes sense. Yeah, right. right. I mean, it can't hold together right. under certain conditions. And, and um, yep. so that's the same thing with matter. I mean, with, with all kinds of matter. So if I take a, 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 a molecule oh, and I shake it at a certain frequency of shaking, right, is the different yeah. atoms are going to start flying off of it. And if I shake it even harder, really? then the electrons will start flying off of it, off of the atoms. Really? And if I, then if I have the nucleus and keep shaking it harder, the protons and neutrons will come apart. Now, wh when did and, people who study and, this and, realize that was possible? When when did they when, when are they like, look, things are stable, but also you put enough shake in the bake, yeah. and you're gonna get yeah. So I don't know them to come I apart. Don't know. I don't know when that would have been. Like in the twenties. Mm, yeah, or, on, like, this, like, on this on this on the on the sort of atomic and smaller scale. Yeah, sometime in the probably the early twentieth century. Yeah. Like, like we, we already had cars when they decided this. Oh, yeah. Figured yeah. this out. Like that. It's pretty yeah. new. But what you have to realize is that a hot thing, all a hot thing is, like if I want to take this water here and boil it, all I'm doing is taking those water molecules and shaking them around more and more violently. That's all that high temperature is. Okay. Oh, so heat, heat is just causing... It, right. So if you make something hot enough, make any, any stuff, water anything hot enough wow. then huh. those water molecules will fly apart after a while and that's what you know okay boiling is not quite that but basically and if you keep on heating up the atoms can't hang together and if you heat it more than that the protons and neutrons can't hang together 
And so in the early universe, it was so hot that nothing could hang together. There were no atoms or molecules in the early universe. It was too hot. Okay. So, so I guess a presumption here is things were super hot, like beyond, because this article used something to to refer to the CERN that the temperatures they get to are like a trillion degrees or something like that. (laughs) Right. I mean, I saw that and just was uh, like, how on earth can they calculate that kind of temperature? Like way, like super hotter than the sun. Right. Way, 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 way hotter than the sun. Than the center of the sun. They're able to heat these things up inside this collider to a trillion degrees. But you got to remember, we're talking about, not talking about a volume the size of a shoebox at a trillion degrees. We're talking about something the size of a nucleus at a trillion degrees. A very tiny thing. Wow. How do they even measure? Okay. Yeah. We can get to how they measure all this stuff in a bit. All right. So the, the, the basic understanding is you heat something up, you shake it enough, it's going to come apart and it's separate elements right. are going to be no longer bound. Right. And so all you're going to get is a, is, is, is a soup of parts instead of the thing itself. Instead of a whole. Instead of the whole. Yes. Okay. That's better. So I'm thinking, all right, so this is a bad, bad illustration. So you take a, a piece of meat, you put it in a stew, yeah. and you keep heating it up, and pretty soon that piece of meat just comes apart, opens up, and then later turns into broth. Liquefies. Like, like that. Yeah, sort and of then thing. you keep doing that. It'll yeah, evaporate. And something like that. It'll evaporate, and then you heat up the, the vapor, and the molecules will start to come apart and so forth. Okay. All right. All right. So, so that's the basic. Basically, the idea is that's, that's basically the idea is, is to is learn up. about what makes up matter. To learn about the building blocks of matter, you take matter and heat it up a okay. lot. Okay. It will fall apart, and then you can study the individual pieces that build up that 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 constitute matter. That's the idea. And that and that's what they're doing there. They're they're taking protons, electrons, neutrons, and heating those, heating those. Hey, podcast listeners, here's what happened. Right in the middle of this great conversation with astrophysicist Paul Wallace, my internet just crashed, just stopped. And so we got to reboot it up and restarted. And then after a whole lot of kerfluffle, we came back on and uh, here we are. And here we go back into the conversation with Paul. A little little benefit to you on the uh, podcast only version. You get a slight edit every once in a while like when stuff like this happens. Thanks for listening. Here we go. It said, hey, you had a broadcast going, you want to keep it going. So I don't know if it's coming up as part two. Or I part can hear one. you. I can hear you now. All right, great, great. Well, uh, all right. So in part one of this conversation, Paul, we talked about a lot of things. Yeah. Including NASA's uh, comments about UFOs. And Every time we talk about that, Paul, something funky happens in this silly little podcast. Somewhere somebody is listening. Uh, it's unbelievable. All right. <laughs> so uh, so we were talking about quirks and quirks and uh, heating things up and shaking watches. And I was yep. asking about the CERN um, collider and yep. this, uh, what they're doing over there because it's so fascinating. So you were saying that this, at any level, you make something move fast enough. You heat it up. known as heating it up. And the Same pieces, thing. The parts come apart. Yep. That's why they're called yep. parts. Uh, all 
right, yep, so parts, 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 parts fly off. Yep. Parts do their part thing. Okay. So, so that's yeah, the, so, that's the assumption of what's going on there at the, at the CERN. That's what yeah. they're doing. They're heating things up to a trillion degrees at some nano level or some nucleus level. Well, what, what they do, you've heard the phrase accelerator part. It's a particle accelerator. Yes. That's basically what CERN and what that does is it gets a beam of part. Basically what it does, it does. It, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a ring. It's a okay. 17 mile long ring, right? Incredible. It gets particles moving one direction at very close to the speed of light. Now, how they do that is a whole fascinating story in itself. But and then they get another uh, stream of particles going the opposite direction at nearly the speed of light. Okay. And then they run them into each other. How do how do they do that? <laughs> like, how do they direct them to hit each other? These are the teeniest. Like, how big is this? Okay, so seventeen miles something tube. Yeah. <laughs> Tube, yeah, it's a vacuum. It's it's it has no air in it. It's a it's a it's a long tube with no air in it. And what is that thing made of? Is it is it concrete? Is it metal? Is it glass? What? Metal of some kind, aluminum, okay, um, okay. something like that. I'm not All sure. Right. I, I I imagine it's aluminum. That the, the when I got my uh, PhD, I worked in an accelerator lab. It was far smaller than CERN, but it was the same basic idea. How what what's the what's the circumference? How the, what's the size of this? Is it, is know, it a probably, teeny little tube? Like is this like? No, I'm guessing something about like this. Okay, all right. Well, okay. It so could be smaller. My but, mind a little bit. Yeah, and it's you know it's a super long, so it's basically a, a long tunnel underground with this tube running through it, and the particles are directed with um, essentially essentially with magnets because they're charged particles that are doing this moving their ions they're positive ions that are making the strips. And so they are, okay. they're affected by magnet by magnets and they use magnets to steer and focus the beam. All right. So they're whipping these things around. Um, yeah. and not, not every day. It's not like these they're right. Right. They're not doing this every, you know, 24 hours a day, every day. Right. They're not just whipping particles around. They have to start the well, thing up and all that. Yeah, but I, I think that oftentimes, I don't know, but my my memory seems to tell me that there are seasons when the thing is on and seasons when it's mm -hmm. off. And when it's mm -hmm. on, the particles are basically always in circulation. Okay. But then it's kind of like it's kind of like a railroad yard. You can kind of divert the you can kind of steer them onto different tracks. Okay. And then when the detector's ready, because there's a big detector where these collisions happen, they kind of steer the particles into the detector. And so, but I, I think that the particles are almost always, you know, during the, during an on, an on week or an on month or an on season, they're almost always moving, but then you get them because it's not an easy thing to get them going. And once you got them going, it's best to keep them going. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. Well, yeah, the, yeah. the whole thing seems nearly impossible. And by the way, th <laughs> yeah, this, is, this is the largest, this is the biggest one currently in the world. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a lot of these colliders around, right? So people are doing particle colliding in yeah a dozen Universe, or a hundred uh, or are there a lot there's of probably a hundred a hundred decent sized okay. ones around the world um and then a bunch of smaller ones um and there was a big project a decade or so ago where the united states was going to build the largest one ever to really solve some questions yeah in texas in texas right. and that was actually you say a decade ago it was 30 years ago was it yeah, I know. I know. Believe me, I know the feeling, Doug. But the only reason I know that is because 
that collider that 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 accelerator was canceled while I was in graduate school in the really? mid 90s in the mid 90s huh. I was somehow and, trying to blame Trump for that and I just no, it's just a reflective it was canceled in our lab our our lab got a whole bunch of cool stuff <laughs> because, because all, they canceled all, that yeah they can't all this all this all this equipment they had basically ready for that got what, distributed what they have to do? Oh, like they were building this thing. They had all this stuff yeah. and then they had to part it out. And yeah, so they had to, can, they, yeah. So had we to got a cool yard stuff. sale, like a Trump property in New exactly. York. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can't wait for that. Yeah. Who wants the gold toilet? Exactly. Uh, okay. So, so in this article, we only have a couple minutes left because of the, you know, the government taking down our internet. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm kidding about that. Uh-huh. They're going to do it. They're going to do it again. I know. I know. There's no, there's no I know. humor. It's humorless. Yeah. Uh, humorless bureaucracy. Uh, the, in in this article, they're they're talking about the quarks. Mm-hmm. So I feel like quarks are a fairly new concept of understanding the elements of what makes up the world. Is that, 50, is that fair? 50, 60 okay. years old is yeah. the idea. Okay, yeah, I'm trying to think when that was. I'm guessing it was around the 50s or so when it was when it was first framed up. Um, okay. Yeah. Quarks are, I mean, you learn in school, right? That there's molecules and molecules are made up of atoms and atoms have nuclei and nuclei are made up of protons and neutrons. And the hip bones connected to the leg bone. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you don't normally, that's about where it stops for most people. (laughs) Right. But you can keep, you can keep going. You can keep going down. In other words, protons and neutrons are composed of even smaller particles. And that's been been a bit of a surprise in the last few decades, right? Just how elemental that the elemental particles, the elemental elements, are not uh, as they're even more elemental than yeah. what a lot of people assumed. Yeah. yeah. So probably in the fifties, I'm guessing is when okay. Gilman, that's the uh, last name of the fellow who first came up with this idea, uh, proposed it. But basically. Uh, protons and neutrons, a, a single proton is composed of three quarks and a single neutron is also composed of three quarks. So, uh, All right. So what really caught my eye in this article was this little segment section that I you know, screenshot and then sent to you where it says uh, quarks come in six different flavors, but the vast right. majority are observed in the observable universe consists of just two up quarks right. and down quarks. Correct. What I love about this is all of a sudden when it comes to quarks, they're not going to use like fancy science language. They're like, you no. got ups and you got downs. And then it says a proton consists of two up quarks and one down mm-hmm. quark, a, a neutron, two down, one up. Kind of makes sense. Then goes on to write, the other four in ascending order of heaviness and elusiveness are strange quarks. Yeah. Charm quarks, yep. beauty quarks, yep. and top quarks. That's right. Okay. Although, although there's a there's a weird thing about that list. There was a okay. there was a big flap of not a big flap, but within within the scientific within Fair the enough. physics nerd community, there was a flap about the names because there were two competing sets of names for the last two. Okay. There were truth and beauty. Okay. okay. Or actually, beauty and truth to put it in right order. Okay. And there was uh, bottom and top. Okay. And this list seems to have combined 
beauty and top, which come from different sets. Do you see oh. what I'm saying? I mean, those because top and bottom go together, beauty and truth go together. But that list had beauty and top, which I've never seen before. That was an odd part of the thing about that list. But there was a flap about the names. Super um, nerd alert. That's so awesome. Yeah. So like yeah. in every field, in every form of knowledge, there's a set of ideas. And then people who are like, it's not how we say it around here. <laughs> so top and bottom, top and bottom, the, the beauty and truth, I think, got okay. got panned by by the by the, uh, you know, by the hardcore, you know, we, we can't be too, uh, too whimsical here. Group. See, and that's that's how I felt about it, because for all the big concepts and all of this stuff and even like protons and neutrons, quarks in and of itself feels like science fiction, science fiction. Well, it came from a, a, a nonsense poem. Oh, um, is that right? Yeah. By Lewis Carroll. OK. Yeah. Oh. I don't know who what who it was who named them first. But, but then they named these yeah. these these four less less uh, easy to describe and easy to uh, find as strange charm yeah, armed beauty the top bottom yeah. like Aren't thank they great? you science naming <laughs> conventions for making this stuff uh this stuff interesting all right yeah. so fundamentally what's a quark and what it's, the quark it's a it's a it's what we would call in the business an elementary particle that means a truly fundamental not composed of anything smaller bottom of the you know oh. a foundational part it, it's particle basically this is as simple as it gets it's as simple as it gets huh. yeah why why yep. are we using that as like a like a saying like you know when you get right down to the quirk this is it. Like the most, it should, uh, that, that, it should be. Let's start using that. Let's try to create a convention in our final, <laughs> in our final decades while you're finding those birds. Let's try to be like, Hey, we, we made a saying that people say. Yeah. You yeah. Know? You think that would be a pretty, uh, you know, a pretty good image of getting down to the, the essence of a thing, getting down to the thing. root of a thing, to the, to let's, the foundation of a let's thing. Let's get to the quirk. Let's, yeah. Let's get know. to the quirk of it get to the quirk i mean if people are going to still talk about uh, let's get down to brass tacks which i, I think know. has to do with measuring fabric between two brass tacks at a tailor really and, yeah yeah that's where that phrase comes from i, I did not know ch- that i think yeah i used to have a book on uh like f- the origins of sayings and funny f- funny phrases yeah, right for right. some reason my whole life i've just adored <laughs> the like who came up with that and where yeah. does that come from? Yeah. What does it mean? What, what was its original meaning? Yeah. Yeah. And so much of it is like, you know, from the early industrial periods of time, and I've mentioned this before in this podcast, having to do with horses, just far too many horse references, just <laughs> all together. Just, uh, so I think, you know, okay, on this one, we'll get down to the quirk yep. of the matter. Get down, to the, get down to the quirk of the matter. Quirk of the, the quirk of matter. Quirk of matter. Okay. T- okay. Talk about this quirk of matter. Any suspicion from any smart up and coming Agnes Scott, you know, soon to be graduate student that's like, I know they're telling us that the quark is the bare essence, but we used to think that about the nucleus or whatever, you know, like, yeah, yeah. So maybe we can go deeper. Well, there's a couple issues with that. One of them scientific, and that's that, that, uh, at this deep, deep quantum at the bottom of the deep quantum hole kind of 
things are very, uh, they're hard to separate out. Things are hard to separate out because of the nature of matter at those small scales. Um, so it'd be challenging to find something smaller. But also from, a, you'll appreciate this, from a strict budget point of view, it's going to be very difficult because the smaller you go, mm-hmm. the more money it costs. Oh, the more the higher the energies you need. Higher energies mean, and, and as energies go up, the budgets expand rapidly. Oh. So getting to a smaller, finer scale than the cork would be beyond anybody's budget right now. Oh, I see. Okay, it's just it's going to yeah. be that elusive. Uh, it could be, but again, there are scientific reasons for suspecting that this is probably the bottom of the, uh, of the, uh, I don't want to say pile, but the bottom uh, of structure, basically. The quirk of the quirk. Yeah. When um, another thing that was interesting in this article was this kind of passing statement that the reason they need these colliders and to actually do this work and ram things together and you know, bring them up to a trillion degrees or whatever mm-hmm. they're doing in there is because you can't get the answer via the math. And I thought that oh. was interesting because so often math kicks in because we say things like we don't have an experiment that can get there, but we know the math tells us this is how far a star is that, you know, so much of it is yeah. produced by math. And right. this one seems to be like, Whatever we're doing in math can't answer that. This was how I what I took from that. Yeah, it, it, is, it that, really, is that it, fair? It really isn't. Yeah, because it really isn't a new frontier, and we don't have we don't know how to model it mathematically. We just don't know. There may be some math out there waiting or sitting around waiting to be used for it. That's what Einstein did. He basically came up with relativity, and there was already math laying around that he could use that had not been used for physics. It was just pure math. You know, these ideas mathematicians came up with turns out were very useful. And there may be something like that here. There may be some math laying around that can be applied, but we don't know what it is yet. But whatever we're using now for our math formulas, you still, does that somehow feel good to to physicists like you? Yeah. That look, maybe this isn't all going to just drift off into you know, faster computers and yeah. computing technology. Somebody's got to do a thing and then there's an observation of it and then you got to haggle yeah. about it and then you got to- That's what physics names. is. Physics is about experiments. It's about, you know, yeah. asking, as, as Galileo would put it, asking nature a question um, yeah. by experiment by, by experimentation. And that's the thing I think is so cool about this and why maybe this is what's caught me about the CERN since I've been hearing about it since I was I don't know, 25 or something, yeah. is- it's scientists doing the thing that kids do. Let's jam two things. Right. <laughs> right. First right. of all, let's break something open, look yeah. inside, and let's do it by ramming things into each other. What, what happens if we about that? What happens if we stick a broom handle into the back spokes of my bike while I'm riding down? <laughs> you know, let's find out. <laughs> totally. I, I, I was uh, pulling uh, our four-year-old grandson, a three-and-a-half-year-old grandson, in, in a trailer on my bike. He's got long enough legs. He'd put his foot up on my back tire, you know, oh. to, to feel it. And I can feel him and hear him doing it. And I'm, I'm like, Wesley Puck, you can't, can't put your foot there. Yeah. Yeah. Can't do that. Simultaneously thinking, Oh my gosh, please keep putting your foot wherever, like <laughs> what's going on. That thing's spinning. I'm going to yeah. touch it. I'm going to yeah, put my yeah. foot there. I'm going to see yeah. if I can slow it down. Like three and yeah. a half year old, four year old kid is like doing that thing. 
Right. And then and that's what that's that's what science is, is it best, as yeah. at its best, yeah. is exactly that same thing. That's great. And then calling it things like charm quirks and beauty right. quirks and top right. quirks, like that simple and poetic kind of language. That's why I just find everything about this CERN collider great. So we're able to do this, find quirks, jam things together, but somehow mm -hmm. I can't keep my internet running through an entire uh, Thursday podcast with don't make any sense, does it? <laughs> uh, so if you're just tuning in now, there was a part one of this. I don't know what became of it because the internet broke in my house and then came back on. And then our software said, hey, you were in the middle of something. Do you want to keep that going? And I just said, yes. So who knows uh, what's happening? Who knows? But wherever you're watching this, you might find an earlier conversation where Paul and I talk about all kinds of nonsense. But Paul has an 8 a, a 9 a.m., a 10 a.m. stop time, wherever you are. Paul's in 10 a.m. I'm in 9 a.m. Jim is in 7 a.m. and he just jumped in the chat here. Uh, wow. So, so where are you coming Jim. from? Good morning, Jim. And you know what he says? Good morning. I slept in. Jim lives in California. He's told us that in the, on the chat before. I'm not breaking any. <laughs> and he's saying, I slept in and it's 7 a.m. Wow. Way to get props after to, it, Jim. Pro Love props it. to you, yeah. Jim. Hey, good for you sleeping in. I hope you go have a mimosa with your breakfast. There you go. Uh, make it a brunch. All right, Paul, anything else? Uh, what are you teaching the, uh, the, the students today? What, 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 what are, are we doing, doing today? Uh, we're talking about this big thing that Newton did. Uh, we are basically proving something that took Newton 20 years to prove. That little so that fig could, sandwich with the kid so on the could, outside. And yeah, that's it. So that he could publish his book. It's a, it's a really important uh, result that really he took. He stopped. He didn't publish his book for 20 years because he couldn't prove this certain thing. Uh, but see, the, he had he had to actually invent calculus before he could prove it. So we already have calculus in our pockets. So thanks to him, he had to invent calculus. So, did he also invent the fig Newton, or am I just is that just a figure uh, of he my did imagination? Not. He did not. Okay. No, he did not. <clears throat> I bet if you said it and wrote it up on the whiteboard and said a couple of things that you know that Newton had to do was create the fig Newton and then also create calculus, I, I'm guessing that would just become an inarguable fact in the mind that's right and 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 they would tell their everybody that for the rest of their lives they wouldn't ask they wouldn't question me at all no they because they wouldn't Nothing say I, I heard it as a joke on a podcast they would say or no, I, my, I learned my, it from an astrophysicist my, that has worked with a collider so he's yeah, not my gonna, son, yeah my science to teacher me. told me he's not gonna lie to me about who made the fig right. newton right uh all right. Well, thanks everybody for being a part of this and tolerating our, our breaks and all. And Paul, you're now two minutes past our promised end time. So we're now done. Goodbye, everybody. It's all right. Okay. Bye. Bye. <clears throat> well, we'll it's kind of stopping. I don't even know if we're stopped yet. I don't know why things, I don't know why things break, but we shouldn't say cuss words because of